Hello, and welcome to episode two of the Discard Pile. My name is Robin, and as always, I'm joined by Jim and Amy. On this week's episode, we talk about nine great strategy games that each have a twist. Okay, okay, so get this. It's an auction game. We all like auction games. Oh, oh, this is a good one. Okay, you, you know it already? Well, if it's what I think it is. I don't know if it's what you think it is. It's a reprint recently. We play... I think we play World Banks, and it happens around a financial crisis. And we are bidding to bail out companies during the financial crisis. So we are literally printing money to bid to to own these companies. And the twist is whoever prints the most money, so effectively whoever wins the most bid will lose the game. And that's the big twist. Normally in an auction game, you're bidding. You're Wait, trying that's to control. not the big twist. <laughs> and, and I've called this, we know this game. Yeah, we know this game. QE. Okay. Yeah. QE. It is QE. It's one of my favorites. And yes, the, the other, so this is great as the first one because there's yeah. two big twists. The other big twist is there's no economy. You, you can bid you any number. The, the yeah, that's the main twist. <laughs> the subsequent twist is whoever printed the most money, the bank goes. Yeah, you know, I guess the, you're right. Because that's, that's kind of the. Uh, that's kind of the outcome yeah. for the twist. So in this game, you can bid however much you want. You as playing a country could pay 10 million, and I could bid 20 million or 20 trillion. Um, but yeah, great twist. Crossover with my list. Oh, very good. Yeah. I didn't have this on my list. Yeah. I'm impressed. This is a really good answer. Yeah, so I've given a game with two twists, and I just want you guys to know that's the bar I'm setting. <laughs> yeah, so double twist. Should we go with uh, Robin next? Yeah, turn turn order. All right. This is the game that inspired this list for me a little bit. I was mostly thinking Euro games for my list. And the game I was thinking is a worker placement game. It's pretty tight. You're placing workers on various spots along, along the board, gaining resources or selling resources, as well as drafting different buildings, which are going to produce resources for you as well. And the twist of the game is that the game can end before the set amount of rounds has concluded. And that's if the players altogether don't have enough points in the system. I don't think I've ever completed this game. Really? To the end. (laughs) I think, and specifically you, have tanked me in this game enough times that I have never seen a happy ending to this game. If that's the case, which I believe it could very well be true, that means you've won a lot of games in this. Because the person that tanks it ends the game but doesn't win, and the person that is currently in first place becomes the winner, even though the full amount of rounds hasn't gone Mm -hmm. through. Mm -hmm. Another Kickstarter game, I believe. You know this one? Crisis. Crisis. Which is a favorite, and I think it's a good example also of multiple twists. There is the semi-cooperative nature of it. Yep. And then there's also the variable game end, um, but wrapped around a fairly standard worker placement little yeah. engine builder game. But a lot of it is really figuring out how to navigate through um, other players' interests and then <laughs> whether someone is tanking or trying to do well. But Yeah, I love like yeah. uh, walking that line where you can be the player that is tanking at all, but if it doesn't fully tank, you're going to bounce back with the best economy for sure. But if you tank it, you're going to lose. So you're trying not to tank the game. You're never trying to tank the game. That would be an unfun game. But you are trying to pull as much out of the system as you can before the other players uh, start their engines as much as you do. It's, it's also a very enjoyable engine to to build. It's uh, it's weirdly one of those games. A lot of my complaints about engine building games is I don't get to run my engine very far because I'm awful at engine building games. But uh, because it's such a subset to the genre, it's... Uh, um, it's really just a minor mechanism of the game. The engine building part of it is very enjoyable. Um, last week, we talked John Company. I get very similar feels with John Company, only John Company throws in like 100 times more chaos to, to it. There's a lot more, I think, interaction in John Company. But uh, Crisis, I think for a while, was something that we played once, felt the hook in the first game, and we were like, let's play this every week for the next few weeks. And... Yeah, I think it's another game where multiple people in our group have a copy now. Yeah, it's really good. Mm. Should we go on to number three? Sure. Um, this one is an auction game. Okay. Again, an auction auction one because Jim took my QE. 
but this is the second game on my list. So this one is an auction game where you're competing for, well, most auction games, you're, you're trying to like get a complete certain objectives. This one gives you kind of beginning of the game tasks to acquire. There is a sort of board element that you're bidding for. Like you want adjacent uh, placements on, on this board. You want priority in terms of drafting these, these locations. And the game goes through a set number of rounds. There's five rounds. You have only one deck of cards for the whole game. Okay. And your bids come out of values drawn from that card. So each round, you draw as much as you want. You could like draw 10 cards in the first round if you want, but you only have 24 cards for the whole game. And the values range from one to six. And so you have during during each round, you're going to try to determine how many bids you want to win and group these values into what you think you might bid for them. So these <laughs> these bids, you're, you're basically outlining how many times you want to bid during the round. So very, res- it feels very restrictive at first, but it's like very crunchy of like how, how you, you know, measure your goals against what other players are wanting to do in this game. So any guesses on this one? I can't name the game, but I, I immediately visualize, you know, sorting out your bids um, and strateg- strategizing how to go about the bidding phase uh, of this game. But I can't remember the name of the game. I don't think I've played this one. Oh, this one is a Steffenfeld title, out of print. It's called Strasbourg. And it is a game that is, yeah, just one of his, like, tightest, like, feels so agonizing in, in each each bid like you're grouping like a one and a six together and and trying to win something but not overpay for it you know so so you want to split out your bid and there's set amount of i think uh eight auctions throughout the round but you can only bid on a few of them so you have to really time out how many you you want to bid in and every uh the three the first second and third place in each auction get something so you you can time out oh maybe i'll just throw this little three in and take a little you know, take a little resource token, even though I may not win all the rewards from a particular auction. That sounds cool. But yeah, yeah auction game. Maybe I have it. Maybe I'm thinking Hamburg. Strasbourg has like, it's got shoes. <laughs> it's got barrels. It's got meat. Yeah. It's like got really, armor. yeah. Things that existed in Strasbourg, very thematic. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I guess we should play it sometime. Very, uh, very cool stuff in Feld. Okay, our fourth title. Fourth title. I'm not entirely sure if this could be classed as a European game. Uh, it's a deck builder. Uh, a cooperative deck builder, in fact, I think. I've only played it a couple of times. So a lot of deck builders, I mean, by its nature, you're kind of also managing your hand. Uh, so in this game, we're managing our hand, collecting... Um, various cards that will either help us defeat the bad guy or help us gain more cards. Um, and yeah, if I didn't mention it before, it's, it's a kind of like a boss battler game, or at least uh, it's set in a fantasy world. I think it's original IP uh, and we're building up our own decks and playing turn after turn, trying to do some damage and whittle down the big boss. Now, the twist in this deck builder comes from how we manage our, uh, our cards. So, interesting, interestingly enough, this gives you a lot of control in this deck building game because as you play cards or purchase cards, you decide what order you place them into your discard pile. This is a good twist. And at the end of uh, maybe a deck building game, you normally take your discard pile and shuffle it and create a new hand. But in this one, you just flip your discard pile. So you're trying to do a good job actually doing the objective of whittling down the bad guy. But at the same time, you realize uh, exactly what combination of cards will uh, give you the most efficient or best output for that objective. So you want to place those cards or discard those cards in a certain way so you can guarantee in the next draw you'll get what you want. Yeah, I think this is a really good choice. I I think... A lot of the time, a game like this, this mechanic where you have to plan out so precisely what's happening uh, would 
generally in my mind feel like a little over the top, a little too calculating, a little too AP prone. But for some reason, it works in this game. And, I, and that game is Aeon's End. Aeon's End. Aeon's End. Yeah. And I, it just works in this game really well. And it's a really cool twist, um, especially if someone had, has played a lot of deck builders. Mm-hmm. If you haven't played deck builders and you play this game, you might not even understand that that's like a a, a massive twist. Yeah, a revelation that this person had in the in the genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's a really great a really great choice. I'm yeah really impressed with that one. Very cool. Game number five. Game number five. Ooh. Game number five is a worker placement game where you are uh, picking up resources and then using them to complete contracts as well as using those resources to move around a map. Uh, The game uses dice as workers. You roll all the dice at the beginning of the round, and then you place them various places on the board. And the twist is that you all get to do some crazy power that no one else gets to do. I'm not sure how much of a twist this is compared to a lot of other games. But in the genre that it's in, and the amount that it leans into it uh, is done in a way that I haven't seen done in many other games, and the way that it still feels balanced uh, in the system is what I feel is interesting about this game. And it's like so asymmetric. It is insanely <laughs> like asymmetric. asymmetric. The first time you guys taught me this game, I could not believe that <laughs> that what you were saying is true. <laughs> to the fact that I just I could I, there's no way I thought you were. <laughs> serious about it so i picked what i thought was the most overpowered faction which i learned later is not the most overpowered it's not faction. the most overpowered but, but the first but time it's I interesting it, it's a good one of the example because you teach the whole game and that's it's right like, but these things i could not the believe the opposite it. of what i, I just explained yeah. and that ability. game is the voyages of marco polo the voyages of marco polo <laughs> what do you think is it a twist jim it is a twist it is a hard game to even pigeonhole in a category. It is resource management. It's uh, pick up and deliver. It's a whole bunch of things. But really, those asymmetric characters, which you can draft at the beginning of the game, changes how you play from the get-go. Um, not so much that it feels like you're playing different games, um, but enough where you have to keep an eye on, uh, on each other, especially if certain characters are in the game. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's a twist that has been done time and time again. The asymmetric player power is super common in board mm-hmm. gaming. But when you told me that it was a game about rolling dice and then placing on the board, and I could choose whatever I wanted my dice to be, that was something that really stuck with me and mm-hmm. is, uh, yeah, the reason it's on this list today. Mm-hmm. Good game. Or start on the exact opposite side of the map That's of true. everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Or have two workers when everybody else has one or two character mutants. very good do you still well. play the original I, I do i like the original more really yeah really i think i didn't play the second one enough is maybe why and i just have a love for the original no but i mm. i think you like it for the reasons i don't like it because okay. I, I i have adversity towards resource management games where it's really hard to get resources and i found in marco polo one that was the case it can be yeah uh, for sure. i'm always like the guy in the game who's really trying hard not for their people to go hungry you know i'm trying not to be punished as opposed to trying to get ahead and marco polo really original really um made me want to make sure i kept afloat on a bit of everything but marco polo 2 is just it's it's a lot more straightforward to get resources in that game so it's a bit easier i would say to approach um but yeah i think different people like both yeah yeah I, i think marco polo 1 is Great if you played it a few times. It's very front loaded in a lot of decisions. Like as the map is set up, you've got to like understand it. Then you have to like pick the right character, draft the right character um, for what you want to do and what makes sense for the current map setup. And Marco Polo Two has like a lot, a little bit more like ways out. Yeah. You know, like not so much punishing, but like more flexible. And and yeah, I really enjoy both of them. Number six, maybe. Number six. So this one is a deck builder, and there's dime a dozen, dime a dozen deck builder games. Um, but this one in particular, oh, I, I think some <laughs> people might know what I'm gonna say. But this, 
maybe you don't though because this is an older one kind of under the radar maybe not a lot of people know about it but it it is one where you're trying to make gases <laughs> so the thing oh, is yeah. about gases i called it. and usually in a deck builder game you want to like trim your deck but this one's kind of unique in that there's a flow throughout the game where you're injecting cards into your deck like you want to grow your deck and then times when you want to you know trim things out and one of the core mechanisms is that you know if you have a certain arrangement of gases in your hand you get to produce xenon which is <laughs> leads me to the name of the game which is <laughs> xenon profiteer yeah this is a good choice yeah another game that we just got obsessed about for a while like we were meeting up before game night and would have like at least a game of xenon profiteer on the table before we dove into you know the nightly board games but um super replayable Mm -hmm. yeah another game that a lot of us have in our collections yeah it's good have you played uh abandon all artichokes yes because that's xenon i mean it's not the same obviously but it has lighter um, it's very different Yeah, yeah exactly but uh, it has some of those similar vibes to it. Yeah, you know, like removing cards from your deck. Yeah, you're yeah. trying to remove cards from your deck. You make it into a state where it's uh, solely one type. I mean, mm-hmm. the Abandon All Artichokes just ends if you have all artichokes, whereas Xenon Profiteer just gives you some points when mm-hmm. you get all Xenon. But um, yeah, just a really cool design. Mm-hmm. Okay, number seven. Number seven is a game that I think I really enjoyed, but no one else really enjoyed in our group. It is a worker placement game. It is a fairly traditional worker placement game where you uh, are vying for spots on specific areas that will give you resources, get you spells, will uh, get you more students. Um, And there's an element of set collection. And you're all doing this because in traditional worker placement, you can trade in those resources to gain victory points and win the game. Twist. You don't know exactly how to win this game. The end objectives aren't clear. There's 10 of them, and at the beginning of the game, three of them are revealed, but the seven are other endgame objectives, which you can uh, vie for, uh, are hidden. Uh, They may appear in the game. Certain actions in the game or worker placement spots will let you peek at them uh, but it is a game of trying to like uh, figure out exactly how many of these objectives you can claim and, and head towards victory and I can see Robin shaking his head because again I think this was a game that I only really enjoyed because I like hidden information games uh, I like especially faking uh, people out by going heavy in one thing when haha it wasn't actually something you could score points on and i managed to pivot out of that um it's kind of like why i like toi uh because their in game objectives are also hidden from everyone else i don't think i ever played this one the game that you're yeah i don't think you did Uh, i don't think i I don't remember the name of this game but i did play it with you yes argent the consortium the consortium that's right i think this game we could have played more and could have got more out of it i think it's hard to play a game one or two times, or we played a couple times, but with like vast amounts of time in between the plays, and you just don't remember how the game's going to play out, or like what kind of effects those different end game scoring cards will have. So sometimes it's hard to plan your strategy around it. The game is also pretty heavy um, in that there each location does something that's fairly unique. So understanding what's about to happen in the setup is pretty difficult for that game as well. Yeah, it's definitely a heavier game uh, with. As you mentioned, there's also that element of modulus to set up. So not only is every spot different, it could come up in a different order because you resolve in a certain order. Uh, but yeah, the nature of hidden information ga- games are generally the people who have played it more is going to have a slight advantage because they know what possibly could come up in the game. But yeah, I, I, I like variable endings in games. I like trying to figure things out. And that's why uh, this kind of, made my list for worker placement games it's not just trying to hit a victory point total it's it's trying to manipulate the game state somewhat amongst the other players yeah i think if you enjoy that theme of like a witch and wizard school i think it could be the perfect game for a group to dive into play a whole bunch of times really get a lot out of it we just didn't i don't think had enough time to Mm -hmm. to enjoy it for what it could be 
All right, number eight is a worker placement game. Like every other game on this list, <laughs> for me, at least. Um, the game has you place a single worker on one of six spots. Each spot is a card and will give you resources for placing on there. Each spot has a variable way of gaining resources. Maybe you just draw them or maybe you draw them from a market or maybe you trade with another player. And then the cards themselves are also the contracts. So you can either place on the card and take resources or you can place on the card and complete the contract that the space contains. Every space has four contracts underneath it. Once all those contracts are taken away, the new four cards will replace it. The twist of this game is that there's like 200 cards and once you finish a game, you don't put it back in the box and then restart next time you play. You continue from where you are in the deck. So as you play this game, every time it's different, every time you're revealing new cards, every time you're learning new mechanics, and your group grows with the game, and the more you play it, the more you get to see. That's Fabled Fruit. And that's Fabled Fruit. Yeah, I love how AB knows the game before the twist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The fact that the card is both used as a contract and for resources, and instantly AB's like, yep, that's the game. Got it. <laughs> got it. There's not too many like that. No, yeah. single worker was where I uh, got it. Single, that, was <laughs> yeah. that was the first was line. The first and you sentence. placed it on six cards. It was like Fable Fruit. <laughs> Fable Fruit. It's a great game. Yeah, it great is a great game. game. How far did we get in it? Oh, like four games. Yeah, not very far. I, yeah. I've started again with my wife and her family, and mm-hmm. we've gotten farther than that, but I'm definitely not happy with the deck yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would love to finish it because there's some every card is a new mechanic mm-hmm. you know the game evolves with you I think it's one of the perfect ways to teach new mechanics to a, a group that hasn't played them before it's like drip feeding all these new ideas and they learn them slowly every time we bring out the game we have to reread all the cards again because people forget and that's totally mm-hmm. okay but yeah I, I really enjoy it I, I love it as a twist like which is what's interesting about that series of games from mm-hmm. Friedman Frieza is that you you learn as you go. You yeah. kind of um, evolve. The game kind of evolves as it as it gets played. Yeah, it's a giant tutorial, but it's fun all the way through. It's almost legacy like, right? It is almost legacy. Do you remember anything game to game? Going no. into the next game or anything? No. The no it's just no perk. Straight away, just new game, new things. Yeah, at least halfway through the deck, no one's got a perk yet. Game number nine. Game number nine. So game number nine is a. Well, there's a few mechanisms in this game. There's a lot of card. It's a card game for for most players. Like you're you're interacting the game through cards, um, and it's a card tableau builder. But the core of the game really revolves around a map, and it's kind of a dudes on a map game. Okay, there's all these um, armies and various yep. other <laughs> things on the board, but the twist of the game is that nobody is represented on the board. Like you're you're actually affecting the board, but nobody's invested particularly hard into any one of the factions. Um, and the game end is actually determined by who has the most favor with one of the three factions that are on the board. Yeah, and with the winning faction, the faction wins the game, and then whoever's aligned with them the happen- most yes. happens to also win alongside them, basically. Yes. Yeah, this is a good one. Uh, I love this mechanic. It's kind of like a stock. Yeah, I call it like shared incentive. Shared incentive, for um, sure. Yeah, I had yeah. another game on my list that ended this way as well, but it's not this game. <laughs> there, I had three, four. With that this mechanic? This, that with this shared yeah, incentive a, mechanic. It's a great there's, mechanic. Yeah. yeah. There's a, it's a, it's a subgenre of one, but this one is Pax Premier, either mm-hmm. the first edition or second edition. I like this. Like, I like, I love both editions. Like, a first edition, I think, had more interesting moments at mm-hmm. times. Second edition, I like that it has introduced this sort of gameplay or this sort of figuring out what other players are trying to do uh, yeah. on that map and what who, who they're actually um, aligned with is uh, such an interesting mechanic. Yeah, it's really good. This isn't one I thought about, but this is a, it's a good twist for sure. So we can go into like kind of runner ups. Yeah. Um, yeah, some honorable mentions. Some for honorable this list. mentions. So one was Imperial. Yeah, I had that on my records or Imperial twenty thirty. Yeah, this same shared incentive. Shared incentive. I, I thought about this game and was trying to I love this game. Uh and I was trying to think of what the twist is to me. And shared incentive didn't jump out, but the more we talk about it, the more I agree. Um something like Paris Connection also fits this, but it's pretty Yeah, Paris Paris Connection is also in there. 
But like for Imperial, it's like it looks like a war game. Yeah. It mm-hmm. plays like a war game, yeah. but you're not on the map. That's like true. you are not. Um, and it's funny because some players will play it like a war game. Like yeah, it looks like Risk. It looks like Risk. So people play it like Risk. Yes, exactly. And another one in this realm is one we played recently, Equinox. Oh, yeah. Which is kind of like a betting game to yes. a degree. But again, nobody owns the <laughs> or is represented by the ones on the board. But there's nine creatures kind of fighting uh, in this arena. And slowly um, it gets eliminated. Yeah. Or, like animals get eliminated in this fight. Okay. Should we continue with other honorable mentions? I only have one of our honorable mentioned. And I don't know if either of you played this one it's a two-player card game which um generally up robin's alley but this is one that comes self-contained so you don't buy booster packs to add to decks this is in fact there's only one deck of cards and both players play from it uh oh. it is a fairly recent kickstarter release i think oh, that's no. made its <laughs> rounds this could Not be one of so many games yeah, yeah. oh Not so the twist of playing from one single deck is pretty well known of these games. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's oof. <laughs> oof. Uh, well, the first time I played uh, this mechanic was in uh, Radlands. Okay. Which, um, was very enjoyable because it was also a card game where it was kind of destroy the other team's base instead of a um, traditional whittle down life point. So it kind of ha- also had that MOBA feel to it, which I know mm-hmm. um, Robin and and now AB have been trying to find the perfect MOBA inspired board game. I've been trying to find it, but I don't. I've never played a MOBA, so <laughs> I do not understand what the core of what I'm trying to find is. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. But I thought I thought you were going towards Battle Line mm. with the single deck one because yep. that's such a like interesting one where you know every card in the deck, you have the outline, and it's really that push and pull. Yeah, there's a lot of good moments in that game. Where you you have the card that they need and they're searching for it frantically, yeah. And the whole time you're like, I can never find it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just holding on. You to keep this card. looking, but uh, it's not going to end well. Oh, it's a good choice. I haven't played Redlands, so I can't speak to it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. runner up. Runner up. <clears throat> How about another work replacement game? Yeah, well, let's see another work <laughs> replacement game. I put Alchemist on this list. Okay. I know there's some debate if this is uh, maybe a twist or not. It is a work replacement game. But it has this element of deduction in it. It might be too much of a whole idea and not just like a, a twist on the game. I think the whole game's a twist. It's so innovative, that yeah. game, for the social deduction round where you actually have to do some, you know, board gaming around it as opposed to guessing and gathering information. It's to its point, I can't actually remember the worker placement part of the game. All I can remember is literally. <laughs> that pyramid or triangle of deduction that i'm trying to figure out but i i mean you're right it's it's got that in there obviously uh a very enjoyable game and i love it but i love those hidden information deduction games so, mm-hmm. um, another one of my personal favorites how about a different worker placement how about zolkin is this- zolkin was on my list as, as a possible option like that one is really one of the first that like that i played that really had a timing element mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. the worker placement it's like you're planning multiple steps ahead to kind of chain these actions on these gears which is kind of a gimmick kind of a kind of a twist kind of a gimmick um but it made sense like it made sense with the the way you place workers and you know you get better rewards if you leave them on the gear longer yeah it's a good game i can't imagine teaching that game to people without ever touching the gears and saying like oh you, if you go to this action space you take this and then at the very end saying like oh and every turn we're going to move this gear <laughs> i think that'd be a, the wrong way to teach that game <laughs> but yeah. uh, definitely would be a hilarious twist well in terms of teaching like this one that i have uh is a kind of stock manipulation game I mean, you play it very much like a stock manipulation like you you play cards and either it boosts the value of certain stocks or, or sell. Um, and this one, the twist is that you have a hand of cards between you and the mm-hmm. player on your left and a hand of cards between you and the player on your right. And so every player has a different set of information of what's going to happen to the stocks. That's yeah, this is a good one. Uh, so this one's having good. Um, oh, this is not what I thought it was. Oh, not what you thought. What's it the was. other one with uh, 
the the racing one. Oh no no, it's the same game. Oh, okay. just redeemed. <laughs> Divinity <laughs> Derby. I Divinity Derby. That's, that's Which the one I played. The weirdest theme. But, <laughs> it's a strange but theme. Habengut is is the was the original theme. Mm, okay. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is a really cool mechanic. There must be other games that have this, but for sure that's the one uh, that is most known to me. Well, uh, shared information, be- shared partial information between. Yeah, like a shared hand between the person on your right and left. Like you can play from either your your left and right, but good, good gimmick for the for the last little bit of the teach. Yeah, the last couple ones I had above and below was like the first time that storybook. I remember, where like the storybook was in a Euro game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we had like Tales of the Arabian Nights before that, which was storybook by itself, and we had you know Ryan Lockett making Euro games, but we had them mixed together. I don't think that's the strongest game, but at the time it was really interesting and it's a cool twist. Maybe more innovative than a twist. Yeah. I did have Broom Service on here, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Broom Service was one I called. Like that's such a like unique twist on a normal like if you played it as a pickup and delivery game, yeah. it wouldn't be great. But the mm-hmm. the twist of having to declare whether you're brave or cowardly. Um is such a good one yeah the game could be pick three cards once a Mm -hmm. turn you get to play one brave two cowardly and Mm -hmm. that could be the whole game and that would be a much worse game (laughs) but the fact that you have to push your luck you have to bluff or take a calculated risk based on what the other players are going to do i think it's just a really cool mechanism and i'd love to see more of it so did anyone have gloomhaven on your list no nope looks like a dungeon delver no dice no okay, dice. okay, yeah. yeah. yeah no good. dice is a good cool twist to that one. I also had a worker placement one. Keyflower mm-hmm. was one. Oh yeah, okay. Like definitely a unique take on worker placement. If you played it, you could you could teach it as a worker placement game, but really it's also partially an auction yeah. game. And you're bidding on tiles to add to your kind of worker placement spots that are in your village. Uh you can take actions in other people's village. But one of the things is that really the meeples that you are using your your gaining into your village that by placing workers there are you use in the next round so you're actually um the economy revolves around the workers that you the three four colors of workers that you have yeah the twists are like kind of subtle in that like the big twists in my opinion are kind of subtle it's not the fact that there's an auction game tagged onto this tacked onto this worker placement game it's i can use worker placements in someone else's city and oh, but they get to keep my workers. That's exciting to me. That's uh that turns it into a exercise of how much am I willing to give up to kind of get a get ahead, you know, there's an element of balance and an element of interaction that I don't see a lot in worker placement games is oh, you built what I wanted, well I'm gonna use it anyway and here's some tax for you. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't really like Keyfire, but that that was an interesting aspect and the color of bidding matters too which i think is something mm-hmm. that is a big part of keyflower like you know if you have all the blue workers and you bid a blue worker on the tile that everyone wants you're probably getting it because well you can see the workers that everyone is gaining at the yeah at the beginning of each round so yeah. you know you can lock people out which is pretty interactive maybe even a little bit mean maybe a little too mean for the time that i played this game early mm-hmm. on in my board game career um Anyway, yeah. any other one? I don't think I have any more. Oh, I had a couple like miscellaneous ones. Some of them were too light for the list, Mm -hmm. but uh, I have a Brian Boru, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is kind of like a trick taking slash area control. Um, You gotta hit me with a twist, baby. You gotta hit me with a twist. (laughs) The twist twist is. I think the the twist (laughs) is the the sort of having to deal with the sort of trick taking aspect or figuring out what other people are going to be playing mm. each round. Yeah, I think one major twist of that is you sometimes want to lose the hand. Mm-hmm. I know that's not unusual in a lot of trick-taking games, but that a lot of the cards in Brian Burrow get you more if you lose. Right? Yeah. So if you win the trick, you get to kind of place a city on the board, which is a great thing, but sometimes you want to you don't want the city that's currently being mm-hmm. bid on to a degree here. It, being won in that trick or competed for in that trick but yeah you want to lose and get a better ability yeah it's a fine line between 
what is a hook or a twist or what is just something that's innovative in the space and you know yeah i think they bleed together a lot mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah unique game in that matter the one that was too late for the list is a bean themed game oh i thought about this game yeah <laughs> this was on my list I yeah. thought it was too light as well. Yeah, it's too light for it, but like... I thought maybe Luxor, almost, you know. I've never played Luxor. I okay. would like to play Luxor. Yeah, but... same mechanic, same twist, but the Bean game is easily the better game. Yeah, yeah, the, the Bean game is better. So this one is Bonanza, and in this, this game you are um, trading uh, with other players, and what incentivizes the trade is that your hand of cards, you cannot change the order of it. And you always have to play the card that is on the right. So you want to trade that away if it's not something that you want to plant that turn, a bean type that you want to plant. So it incentivizes trading between players because of the hand management aspect. Yeah, it's so genius. And mm-hmm. I said Luxor before, but Luxor doesn't have that trading aspect. No. And neither does something like Scout, where you can't change the, the order of your hand, the cards in your hand. It, yeah, it, it influences so much of what's happening at the table. And the amount of times around the table where people are just begging you to take a card from their hand. They start out a trade and they, they're trying to like r- do a hard bargain. They're like, no, no, I need more for that. And then by the end of the trade, they're like, okay, just take just take it. Just take yeah. it. Please just take it. Uh, is hilarious. And there's no other game like that. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's uh, a twist that breeds creativity in the design for sure. Very cool. And that's, that's it for my list. What are we going to talk about? What we've been playing recently? Yeah. I played Root. Yeah, uh, you had played Root, but you taught it to a new group this time, right? A couple of groups. Yeah, my board game store near me, FLGS, Mm -hmm, what we mm -hmm. call that. No one had played Root that was there that day, and I had learned it. And I think it's the first time that I felt confident teaching every role in Root from the base game and really understanding all the different parts of it, which really gave a different feel to the game and was really cool. It's really interesting to see a bunch of people that have never played this game interact with it because it is so kind of different and weird. Had they heard of the game before? Were they? Yeah, they had heard of it and they all wanted to play it. Okay, so they were familiar with the fact that everyone was playing a different faction that operated very differently from everyone else. Yes, yeah, and some of them had watched videos so they kind of understood what was happening for some of the factions but didn't quite know everything about the game. And some of them had bought the RPG book and were going to start an RPG in the route world so they were excited to play the game to kind of understand what that was all about right um yeah and some of them had just seen the game store post a thing on facebook saying we're playing root and they stopped by because they had wanted to play it for a long time Mm -hmm. and i think something you told me that really stands out for me is i think you mentioned that one group really enjoyed it and then another group was just kind of lukewarm on it yeah Uh, why do you think that is do you think it was uh more to the players to the game or was there something they weren't expecting that they really didn't enjoy or vice versa on the other table. Uh, did something just click that didn't happen on the other table? Yeah, I wasn't on the table that seemed to enjoy it a little bit more. I was on the table that seemed to enjoy it a little bit less. I think the people that had bought the RPG and that owned the game but had never played it, they were sitting on the table that really enjoyed it. And I think those players maybe understood that they were going to a game that was a little more chaotic and a little less under their control. And the players that I was playing with, um, one of them was frustrated because they felt they had so little control on the game. They were playing the cats, so they were just, right. you know. Right, getting attacked. When you're in that <laughs> position, you, yeah. you're you getting worn down over and over again. Um, and the other one was playing the birds and was trying to not go into turmoil. And I was trying to be, trying to help them understand that it's okay once a game to go into turmoil and that's pretty normal. But they didn't really love that aspect of having to restart their whole Mm-hmm. Uh, planning phase so i think maybe just the expectations with how the game played were not quite what they what i should have made them be when i started the teach and which was a little too bad but i think they both said they would play again but one said they'd prefer to play a different faction and the other one just said they would kind of understand the game a little bit more on the second play yeah with that level of asymmetry it is a game that takes quite a few plays to kind of understand and to another point, a meta is going to kind of naturally grow within specific groups. I think I played Root about 10 times when it was first released, mostly with the same group of people uh, from three to five player games. And it it is a game where it 
feels after some time you're playing against the person instead of specific factions so i'm wary of those games because a lot of the time it does come down to you know bashing down the leader until second place has enough of a momentum to kind of slingshot into first but no roots interesting enough that it's a game that i'm happy to lose at you know it's interesting to find how different factions work how they interact differently each game but i do find it like the balance of powers not just within the asymmetry but it's within the people are playing them themselves which is really interesting yeah no i agree completely every time i play root as well i'm always so interested in going to play other coin games and i think mm-hmm. maybe that is something that i should try to do more of like just my my enjoyment of root every time is I think an indicator that I would really like the coin game series and should probably try to pick one up and play it. Any thoughts on Root, AB? Well, about coin. Like, I, I, I have enjoyed all the like coin ones I played and Root included in that because it right. is like a sort of intro to, to those. But yeah, the thing is about about the coin ones that that is interesting is that they're almost vastly more <laughs> more asymmetric than, yeah. than Root is. Like, some of them don't even share like the same way of interacting with with the map you you don't even have anything on the board in some cases but yeah i've only played it yeah. just in plane oh yeah yeah i i really want to play cuba mm-hmm. and obviously I, I would play fire in the lake i think i have all of them which is crazy to say <laughs> but so you have picked them up yes i have picked them up i just haven't yeah. played them yeah gandhi you can never take a yeah aggressive action in the game <laughs> yeah Looks really cool. Anyway. That is an interesting genre just because you cannot avoid aggressive interaction, which uh, I think a lot of our group kind of feel uncomfortable around. Like when we're playing an area control game, a lot of the time the leaders are just sitting, building up, and then there's just one giant battle and then that's it. Whereas with coin by nature you have to keep everyone in check constantly during the game. You have to understand what everyone's doing. And yeah, it's, it's definitely a growing genre for me of interest, but uh, yeah, similar to root. You got to learn a lot mm-hmm. when, when yeah. you're yeah. getting into like it, how like. factions interact. Yeah, exactly. Uh, jumping into like a random group and picking it up just sounds crazy intimidating for me. So. For sure. And the fact that you have to play with four players. I yeah. Mean, they're, apparently the bots are really good the hassle of learning the whole game and then learning all how the and then running the bots yeah Mm -hmm. feels a little daunting what have you guys played well we played distilled Mm, yeah recently which yeah i i definitely enjoyed it and it's something that as i think about like i haven't played much like it before i haven't played like i can't really find a game that kind of compares to it it's what brought me thinking about xenon profiteer in, in some way too it's because you're looking at certain compositions in your deck that you're building that... yeah uh i thought it was a bit open i think i mean i think it's a well-designed game and i think there's a lot to it that is interesting it just didn't hit the fun factor for me that i'm looking for uh the push your luck part of it where you're mixing your drink not really mixing your drink brewing, brewing. Distilling. distilling distilling the oh, drink that's a good one. Yeah. um i i know i think we had a talk midway through the game where you had a comment midway through the game where you would just feel more comfortable knowing there's zero chance of this failing so you would over purchase resources effectively and that was certainly something you can do and something anyone could do and so it never felt like there was a lot of incentive for me to just be like, okay, I'm going to risk this because even though there's a 50% chance I don't end up with the spirit I want, whatever, I'm going to use my money for something else. It, I just felt it was a little open. Too many labels, too many different types Too many of labels. I was never really at risk of not being able to brew something I, I wanted to brew. Uh, and the risk never seemed to be worth the payout. You know, when you're mixing something that's worth a lot of victory points, you don't want to mess that up. So why would you ever trust a 50-50 chance on that? Yeah, it's hard to exactly say what um, about the game. I mean, there's just a couple of aspects about the game that I agree are a little bit weird. The pu- push your luck is a little weird. 
failing feels really bad unless you have put some money into kind of some countermeasures like if you can't build brew whiskey maybe you can brew something a little bit Mm -hmm. lower Mm -hmm. on the scale of value um, which is cool but it also feels like because games are weird right so you (laughs) we're playing this game for about an hour an hour and a half in some ways don't you want like if you have the ability to not input those countermeasures just go straight for the highest value thing and risk it on turn two that i'm gonna make it big i'm gonna do this huge thing maybe it's a 50 50 shot that you make it or you don't if you make it and then you feel like that is going to catapult you into first and you're probably going to win that game is that a risk that you're willing to take when you know that the next hour of your game is maybe unplayable if you don't make it but even on turn two because that did happen on my second play of it where somebody on round three risked like a high value one that you have to age Mm -hmm. and it definitely got them a lot of points but like failing that other people were just doing like a little vodka to get money to get like like an injection of cash and they ended up being second you know so so it wasn't like this huge like lead like having like a fully aged um rum so i don't know it kind of evens out like there is like a a version where he he could have failed and and you know produced just money or like something that gave him money that's true and i i guess my problem isn't with balance though and it's more with the player interacting with the system having to choose if they do something that could destroy their next 40 minutes like is it worth it to do this thing if the next half an hour is going to be unenjoyable because of it right i just think it's a weird thing to have in a game yeah i didn't know if it'll be unenjoyable because you always make something you will always make something in the game yeah so you will get like an influx of cash or the well that's why it's there Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so that you have some sort of backup plan yeah the two things i do think that maybe other people may not have a great time with are low interaction Mm -hmm. and the game does feel like it would maybe get a little samey after your third or fourth play you are just kind of doing the same thing you're buying resources you're putting them into your card slots you're brewing you're doing that seven times in a row you do it you know there's obviously some differences in what you're brewing and how you're doing it and the the powers are cool and the different parts of your distillery are really cool um so those are variable but it does feel like it would just feel very samey yeah it felt the differences were a bit i don't want to say tacked on but a bit tacked on you know light v and i i don't i don't brew so i don't know the correct term but the smells Oh, the flavors? The flavors were kind of just there, you know, throw one on. Uh, Which gets me to my other point for AB, because you've played this more than once. Mm -hmm. Uh, Aging never seemed worth it to me, unless I could, I actually had to do it. Because that meant no income for a round, you know. And to your point, people purposely make basic uh, vodka, I think, or moonshine Mm -hmm. to get, you know, a, a trickle of money in like two dollars three dollars but if you're aging something decent that's a round where you're getting nothing uh so you're going into the next market round with nothing uh which maybe i was playing it not incorrectly there's no way to play this incorrectly but like i was playing it like round by round was its own thing it was never something i was going to build up to it's I'm buying these ingredients to use this round, which might be the incorrect play because you could just keep things in your storehouse. Um, but it felt really bad because I think I asked the question halfway through a game, oh, can I brew more than one thing? Because maybe I want to brew something really good and age it, but also get my income by just doing a moonshine or vodka. But that didn't seem like a thing I was able to do. So it made aging not worth it for me. Well, which... in the second play, everybody instinctively i guess started to age early mm-hmm. and it was really like the the 15 bonus points and like the various things that you can um affect like the especially the cards that the flavor cards you inject inject more money uh, that you could gain current when you sell it um i think it made a big difference because the store scores in the second game were definitely about 20 points higher than mm-hmm. all of our scores like i think it everybody was aging early and then the second that you go into the round with nothing but you can still 
make one of your other recipes or like right. you save a money buy a like a cheaper recipe and then you can even if you fail and actually a lot of people did what we did which is like overbought ingredients and wished for the best case scenario where yeah. you pull out the two ingredients <laughs> that yeah. you paid money for um but you know there was still the chance that that it could fail which is counteracted that you saved it for the next round yeah you don't have to buy that ingredient again i think i also just wedged myself into a corner by going bottles in that game so another way of score points is to make sure the bottles in which you are selling your spirits in uh come from a variety of either different countries or the same country and i wanted to kind of hit maximum scoring on both of those which means i needed to spend money each round to make sure Mm -hmm. i picked up the bottles i needed so i was always in a case of i need to go into the next round with at least five dollars or else i can't execute my strategy so it's probably a me problem yeah it could be i mean that was an interesting part of the game at least Mm -hmm. when you're that's something you are competing on with other players so there there is that and i know i've talked mostly negatively about this game but the theme is great and it employs the theme really well you do feel like you're brewing things distilling things Mm -hmm. um yeah the game itself is like very smooth feels good it's fun to to distill things like shuffling the deck is exciting and and cool it wasn't a bad game it's just not not for me any other ones it's just been playing out nova online <laughs> yeah. all up you done all right then i guess it's the end of this week's episode thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week i hope you guys have some better ones than me because mine are weak you can't you can't start us <laughs> off that way yeah, yeah. well i'm not you simply off, cannot start us off that way Why don't, no, why don't well, you do it? Oh, I don't know. You, you No, I feel like you no, have kind of encapsulated no. it. No, go, go, go. Me. Uh, I'm so bad at intros. This week... Hello. Welcome to episode two. This week, we bring you a list of nine games... No, that's not it. That was pretty good. This week, we bring you a list of nine strategy games. Technically, you can record the intro at the end. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. But if you had recorded the first last three minutes it would have also been fine yeah that would have been good